All right, family, beloved, welcome back to episode three of Three Black Men. Three I thought I started there for a second because I said episode <laughs> three of Three Black Men. No, I said that right, right? My check? Yes. There we go. All right. Yeah. Episode three of Three Black Men, a podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Uh, thank y'all for joining us. If this is your first time, I'm Trey. I don't know how to act. I- I'm Robert. He thinks you know Sam. how to act. Yeah, he in denial. I'm Sam. I'm... Sam I don't Sam know. Here we go. Here <laughs> we go. But yeah, we wanted to have a conversation with y'all because uh, while we were sitting here uh, talking amongst each other, trying to figure out what direction we wanted to take tonight, um, we wanted to talk about the evolution of our theologies, like the theological frameworks we're operating in and trying to figure out how to have that discussion. I realized that there's... Um, certain things that you might not know about us. And a lot of times in terms of talking about theology and theological frameworks, it helps if you understand the context in which that person is operating. That make any sense to y'all, right? Like where you are um, socially, economically, geographically, a whole bunch of other things takes uh, a pretty big role in that. So um, we wanted to unpack a few things and kind of talking about I don't, I don't know um i think in avengers movies that's how my mind works but this would be like the origin story a little bit <laughs> but trying not to mind too deeply into that um i guess we're gonna start with um where we would pinpoint or describe that starting point of our theological journeys so um sam we'll kick it off with you bro like if you could if you could like identify a starting point, a starting location for where you, that theological journey looked like for you, what would that be? I mean, uh, just growing up in a small town in Florida, I think it was that of the average black child, which was just being raised in church. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you you was in, you was in church for like, how many hours on Sunday? Hearing the songs. Oh my goodness. We had Sunday school, we had regular service, we had evening service. Uh most of the day. Most of the day. And then, you know, I kind of learned early when you become a musician in church, you know, you can kind of dodge some stuff. So that kind of helped out a little bit. But <laughs> no. Nah. Um yeah, no, nah, but just being raised in church and and hearing songs that have been passed down from generation to generation um old i guess they might call them negro spirituals or you know um hymns that are rich in um liberation whether it be black liberation or um just being set free in in the kingdom yeah i hear you bro I could, I could relate to that because my mom loved telling the story. I was born on a Wednesday, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, four days. I was four days old when I first went to church. Like, <laughs> Yo, mom, you was mom, fresh out the hospital. I was fresh out. Yeah, no, not the, I wasn't even born in the hospital. Um, so it was like, she, ain't had, she ain't had to sign no papers or nothing. She just oh, took, wow. the little, took the little baby and brought it to church on the fourth <laughs> day. So I, I know what that's like growing up in the church. And, and honestly, at some point, not knowing nothing but that. <laughs> you know yeah and, like, for real culture of black church right and i think i think um in so many ways that we can relate to that and share that starting point is it, it makes it's a little interesting how we took a uh, very very different journeys eventually but before yeah. we even get to that point rob i want to hear from you because i know you do not have that testimony 
as I understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up as an atheist and that was not foisted upon me by my parents. I landed there, one, by observing the dysfunction of my family, two, by observing all of the Christians in my immediate uh. sphere of influence and seeing the hypocrisy. And I had never stepped foot in church, but what I did realize were Christians were supposed to be good people, but they weren't. Mm. Um, and this is, this is my understanding as a young person. So don't at me right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. Okay. I'm saying young Robert, this is my thought. Um, although some of y'all are still not good people now, but I hey, talk about it. But I digress. But I knew that they were supposed to have these morals and ideals and things that they were supposed to live up to. But all of the worst people around me in junior high and high school were Christians. Ooh. And I knew that they were supposed to have this understanding of God that was supposed to make them act better, but it didn't. So um, mm. I took a special uh, pleasure in talking Christians out of their faith. Um, oh, you was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In All junior right. high, high school and college. So yeah. So my framework for understanding Christianity mostly was the hypocrisy of Christians and the observation of the world around me and the pain of my own home and then studying world religions and equating world religions, including mythology with what Christians believe. Um, and so that kind of formed the basis of what I thought about God. Uh, that's real, that's real. I'm, 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 I gotta resist the urge to sermonize right there. Cause right there, <laughs> I, just heard a, I just heard a whole message about why witness is important. Cause people is out there watching. Uh, Truly. Let me let me let me stop right there. So, okay, that being the case, two of us growing up in in black churches since before we can remember, and one of us making a conscious decision to be an atheist, and then somehow all uh, coming to believe in this brown baby boy from Nazareth as the Lord and Savior of the world. That's right. right. <laughs> um, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's really uh, interesting. And I could be like real elementary and foolish here, but um, I think we all acknowledge um it is it is it is widely acknowledged among us and if you are listening and uninitiated i don't think it was a straight line for anybody on this call with regards to where we started at and where we ended up because um i know for me it, it was a winding path and i talked a little bit earlier about uh like where you are socially and economic and everything economically impacting how you view the world theologically like for instance if you understand me as somebody who grew up in richmond virginia which was the capital of the Confederacy and grew up on the black South side and the black East end of Richmond, Virginia, but mm -hmm. went to school in the white West end um, and, and all of those different things. Um, it helps you understand how I process things theologically and how I view the world. Like all of that stuff makes an absolute difference um, in how I approach not only the Bible and those scriptures and things, but how I view God's activity in the world. Right. right? Um, let me, can I ask you how sure. specifically with those examples you used of growing up in the Confederacy and your economic status, et cetera, 
and you might be going there right now. But how, for example, how did that impact how you view God? So for me, um, I think early on, I kind of intuited that everybody won't talk about the same thing when they talked about God. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, okay, one of the unique things about Virginia at the time, like up until 2000 something, uh, like not 2020, nothing, but like close to 15, 20 years ago, right? Uh, what is widely known as Martin Luther King Day around the country was Lee Jackson King Day, right? And that was new for me because I'm, I'm originally from New York. So I got there and I'm like, okay, Martin Luther King Day. They were like, nah, Lee Jackson King Day. And I was like, what? Who are Lee and Jackson? And I looked it up, like, that, that is an odd combination. That That is weird that you would put those guys with that. And little subtle reminders that I'm always picking up from the people around me on what is important, what is honorable, what we should be doing. Like there is no possible way. Like I, I give, I'll give you an example of when I first realized that, okay, there, there's some differences here, right? So I was going to this private Episcopalian school and we had a chapel service and they had a guest speaker. It was the first black minister that I'd seen in that capacity. It's not to say it's the first one there, the first one that I can recall. And I remember like he got to having this talk and it was, it was getting good. And I felt, I felt it in my spirit, right? I've been in church since I was four days old. I felt it in my spirit. So I let out an audible sound. I either, I either shouted or I clapped. And I remember that I was in the wrong setting because ain't nobody else joined me in that. And I looked around and I was like, whoa, we, we be talking like using the same words to describe God, but we don't experience this the same way. So with that, even like if you look at my interactions on Twitter and why I refuse to code switch nowadays, because I've always been in a setting where I had a foot in two different worlds, right? So uh-huh. I've, I've been forced into that exposure. But most people in the majority or dominant culture have not had that same experience. So the mm-hmm. very least I can give you is that, right? I can give you an entryway into that. So you know that your experience, um, though it might be normative in this nation, is not the only valid expression or valid way of looking at it, right? So when yeah. I talk about like what, what, how that upbringing as coming up in a capital confederacy as, as a black kid who had, uh, who was living in black neighborhoods, but going to white schools and white spaces and everything, like that impacts how I recognize the, the different ways of people looking at what in theory is the same story, right? Okay. How we came up with four different gospels talking about the same Jesus. You feel me? Yeah. Did I answer your question at all? Sense. I don't know if I you did. You did. You kind of answered more the the, the framework. Um, I, I'm even a little bit more curious on then how did that, like specifically, then what did you think about God from that? Cause you did sketch out more of like the nuts and bolts of, of huh. like the, 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 the skeletal structure of the house. But then yeah. like, how do you think that impressed on how you saw God? So it's funny because it's one of those things where I would have to like superimpose part of my current theological worldview to answer True. that question. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause I didn't have the words sense. then to express okay. what I was feeling. And when I look back on it, I, I now view like knowing what I know about the Bible, it was always written from marginalized peoples, right? So when when I, I when you ask me, okay, what did I think about God as a result of that? I'm gonna be all the way honest. This is our podcast, right? We can we can keep we can keep it we can keep it real on this podcast. Yeah, please do. I felt that I had a better insight or 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 uh, um, 
easier access to viewing things uh, or viewing the activity of God, because the way the Bible was always preached to me was one of God stepping in uh, to, to, to enact justice for the people who didn't always have uh, an easy road or people who are under uh, tough circumstances and me living in that way. So, so um, like I can say that or articulate that now, knowing what I know, I didn't have the words back then. All I knew was um, even though I sh- something in, uh, intuitively told me I, I should have felt inferior. I didn't have as much money as the white kids that were going to my school. My, my, when I got a car, wasn't as nice as theirs and everything. I knew that there was a God who cared about me and how I conducted myself. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, the, I, I, I like that. And I'll say this, and then I don't know if you have any thoughts, Sam, too. Um, I personally, um, because of my particular upbringing, I really gravitated towards understanding God as father. And there's this curious concept usually that people say that uh, depending on how your parents were um, in relation to you, that's how you view God. For me, it was the exact opposite. Like (laughs) my father was domineering, uh, very abusive, very manipulative. My home was toxic (laughs) to the max, but I have always gravitated towards understanding God as father and loving. And that's the predominant way that I understood in the, uh, him in the way that I understand him now. But I think my, so that my upbringing, my social location predisposed me to saying, Oh, well, God has to be the opposite of my father. Like I'm not leaving atheism to serve a God who's exactly like my father. (laughs) So out of that place for me in particular, um, it, it has always been easy for me to pray. I've never had a problem reading the Bible. Um, those things have always, always, I'm almost 20 years into this thing. I've never had a problem with those things because it seemed like the natural overflow of understanding God as father. Um, and so for me that, that like my upbringing being that chaotic predisposed me to understanding God that way. I'll say that. Yeah. I hear you, bro. I hear you. All right. So Sam, how would you say that, uh, your your upbringing or your location in terms of you being like me growing up in a black church like how did how did that impact your understanding of god and and how you saw him or his activity in your life you know what um i think what you said is kind of where what i would have to do is I couldn't articulate that then you know what i'm saying yeah. at least i don't i don't ever remember articulating that right so i i would have to impose what i believe now yeah um or assume some stuff you know what i'm saying no no that's not fair you know yeah I hear you. this is an interesting exercise for the simple fact that especially when we're talking about a starting point these aren't things that we were necessarily thinking about actively always right like, a lot of it was stuff that we intuited or naturally came to believe whether it was 
put upon us by our parents in our case or just what you were observing which honestly rob that's the most fascinating thing in the world to me because the longer i've spent around christians especially in the church and seeing hypocrisy from another side or whatever the more i'm like wow like you guys might be the worst advertisement possible for this for this guy that we claim to serve <laughs> like this is this is not a good look and you not being from inside that culture and deciding to join that culture even after having those thoughts i'm curious as to what thought process led you from from having all of those thoughts about christians to viewing god as father and and being willing to make that decision um but <laughs> um samuel what do you think no i <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> i <laughs> uh, how much time do we have i I had an encounter in 2004, uh, and that would be a whole nother podcast, <laughs> um, right. but um, l- literally an encounter. So that helped um, yeah, man. because I wouldn't be here without that. Um, but I would say after the encounter, because <laughs> the encounter was supernatural, I, I will say that I very, so I will say this about it. I very much respect those of you who have grown up in the church who I would, I would say for the most part, haven't had as many supernatural encounters, quote unquote, supernatural encounters with God as I have, because I would not be a Christian without those because there was Mm. nothing that led me into this path of Christianity. And so when I encounter someone like Sam, who and i i don't know exhaustively your story so maybe you have but like people who have grown up with jesus and don't have those as the bedrock of their faith to me in some ways that is more impressive um to me because y'all just out here believing yeah that's okay that's what I was, so I, and so a lot of people are usually fascinated by my story and I tend to downplay it because it's less fascinating to me because I would not be a Christian if I did not supernaturally encounter Christ. And that's clear cut for me Mm. um, at all that I wasn't seeking God. I wasn't feeling God in my heart. I wasn't like reaching rock bottom. And then suddenly I called out to him. No. Um, so supernatural encounter. And then after that, um, the unfolding revelation for me was from understanding God loves me and how should I act in light of that? So for me, my first act was to start having quiet times. And this was apart from church. I wasn't going to any church Mm. and I hadn't been a part of any church. So after the supernatural encounter, I started reading Genesis to Revelation every day and praying every day. And that was very easy for me (laughs) because, oh, I had the supernatural encounter and then God loves me. So like, that's what you do though. Like, and so I I find this conversation a bit hard for me because I think what's more interesting is why the two of you keep on believing without those confirmation of events. Like within the first year of my salvation, I had prophetic dreams 
almost every night. Mm. And I didn't know that that's what they were, but I would dream the whole next day's events um, like to a T. Wow. And so those were like grounding things for me. And I think God mm. knew for me, I'm such a logical person that that's the only way I was coming. <laughs> I hear you. Cause so for me, when I hear like, for example, Sam, when I hear your story and I'm like, you've been through a lot and uh, without those things, that to me, to me, that's more fascinating. <laughs> um, you know what? I think one of the things that, well, like, I think it's an either or usually an either or situation is we either tend to over spiritual over spiritualize things or we downplay the supernatural um yeah. events that take place across ordinary things you know what i'm saying like we see it ordinary but when you look over time it was supernatural so um for me I think the flip side of what you were saying is that I look at my story over time and I see the supernatural working of God yeah. to keep me in all of that hell for himself. You see what I'm saying? And for me, that's just as powerful as the instantaneous supernatural, like the Paul on Damascus, you know what I'm yes. saying? On the road to Damascus. Um, yeah well, I, I want to interject the thing that i think when i hear both of your you guys' testimony is the power of god to keep someone um which for me is remarkable versus for me it is the power of god to draw mm. um unto himself and Man. both both are a work of the holy spirit right you but, hear me because i know me, me. <laughs> <laughs> but for me someone who could grow up in the church and still and after I've only been viewing the church since 2004. It's yeah. a lot. <laughs> so, go ahead, Trey. I hear you, Sam. Sam you, beat, you beat me to the punch because honestly, the hardest part of my ordination council, right? It wasn't any of the doctrinal stances they wanted to grill me on or anything of that nature. It was the conversion story they want or the evidence of conversion. Cause I'm like, I, I don't know question. when that, when that happened, like <laughs> right. I was, I literally, I cannot remember a time when I was not in church. Well, I can, um, because the moment I, I remember specifically, I was about 12, 13 years old. And, um, the question wasn't, oh, or the, the order wasn't get ready for church. My mom, I thought it was a trick question for her. She was like, Hey, you coming to church? And I was like, uh, no. And she was like, okay. And I stayed home and that was such a weird feeling for me. And I started doing it more often and I ran, but like, I can't point to a particular date on a calendar, right? Like I know a right. lot of people who can, my pastor can do it. He can tell you the date on the calendar. He celebrates the date every year that he came to Christ. I remember being baptized. I remember taking all participants participating in all sorts of sacraments but i can't point to uh, a road to damascus being in the altar right <laughs> right right but i can't point to, to, to that change in my heart but i also can't I, I can't call myself unsaved because of that because i know my walk i, I, I know my, how my heart is oriented and things of that nature so i want to ask if that's right. ever something that you've wrestled with as somebody who's like grown up in the church or have, having to like wrestle with that expectation especially 
in like Western evangelical cultures and stuff, there's a lot of emphasis placed on conversion. That isn't necessarily yeah. the case in other places. Like, have you found growing up in a church to be an obstacle in how you view that part of your walk with, with Jesus or your theology? Um, when I was younger, I don't know. I mean, I could certainly speak for, uh, well, I could speak for later in my, probably in my teenage years. Um, I think it was, um, but that's just because, you know, there are some things that we are taught and maybe they're not exactly scripture you know maybe they're like two <laughs> scriptures put together and you know kind of summarize like uh what, what's that saying that, that it's a saying it's not really the scripture where it says the the race is not given to the swift or to the strong but he who endures to the end it's like six scriptures <laughs> put together in two and it's like it's not a scripture and so I, I was getting a lot of that and I was seeing some stuff that was just like y'all taught me this but this ain't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, is, is that kind of like what you, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we're, we're taught on this whole thing of conversion, which to be clear, I, I do believe that conversion is absolutely a thing. I don't right. know if it's as universal as we like to make it for the yeah. simple fact that I don't necessarily know that all salvation is personal. Like I do believe in such a thing as com communal salvation. Um, yeah. I also believe that, uh, and I'll assert this here, uh, I I also believe that a lot of the metrics that we place on salvific works and salvific experiences are uh, white centered and mm. the ability to try to colonize a salvation experience is amazing <laughs> and the ability to try to gauge how saved someone is Y'all, that, that's really that's, just been a weird question for me. Like, it's always just been a weird question for somebody to be like, oh, so like, when did you get saved? That's why does that matter? Like, because think about it. What evidence it let me back up to poke and prod at a salvation experience is profoundly something that I don't know that every communal person thinks like that. That is a very European mindset. And it's a very, I want to poke it. I want to understand it. I, Trey, tell me the moment, the hour you yeah, accepted Jesus. Yeah, in Jesus in your heart. I want to measure. I want to, it's like a zoo. I always say this, like, it's very zoo-like. And I, I don't know. I don't know that the, the cultures a plural that dominate the Bible would have understood uh, right. salvation in that way. Neither do I think that most of the people uh, who have adopted Christianity throughout the world, which are profoundly not European, would understand salvation in a way that could be measured. Well, they definitely so, not like the Old to Testament you, folks, because they weren't even like, they're saved still by Christ right? By faith in yeah. Christ who hadn't yeah. even come yet. Yeah. And, and, and think about it. Like, so you, you were saying, Trey, like, 
I, I can't point today. I don't know that everyone could. Like, I mean, I Abraham, Abraham knew a day where God called him out of his people. But did that mean, and this is curious, did that mean he didn't have a relationship with the divine before the day that we pick up on his story? We do not know that. Mm. Um, well, he we just to, merely cause... have one snapshot. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I, I like what you were starting to say. It's like, well, I was gonna, I mean, on. I was gonna say he, I feel like he maybe had to have had some, like he knew there was the idea of a God, right? Like he worshiped many gods, right? Like that, that's what the Bible tells us. So mm-hmm. I'm like, he had to have an idea. Of, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Dude, yeah, I think thing. our view of even salvation is very much colonized and been given to us. And we're taught that we should be able to have an experience. I do have an experience that I can point to, but if I'm honest, the older I get, I see the signpost of God's working in my life way before my conversion experience. I see you know, them. Here's a, here's a dangerous thing about that. Um, and maybe this might be better for like another time, but I, it fits. Uh, a friend of mine, we were talking about, um, you know, coming to Christ. And when I got into Reformed theology, one of the things that I really felt like is that I never heard the gospel pure. And so for me, I associated my conversion experience with reformed theology because I could pinpoint a day where my heart was changed or so I felt um, on some doctrinal statements. Yeah. And, and And that's terrible because one of the things that he was saying is like, yo, you know, um, what if maybe I was just misinformed? Not, not that I wasn't, unsaved or not that I was unsaved but uh they I was taught some things that maybe didn't line up for scripture but I heard the gospel right like I felt God's tugging at my heart you know what I'm saying and maybe I had that experience and I see him keeping me over that time but I don't have to associate my conversion experience with and so that's that's where I think what Robert was saying is that that can be dangerous because when you're trying to when when you mandate that what day were you saved like i can tell you when i got baptized like how old i was but (laughs) you know what i'm saying i can't even tell you that much i just know it was was a long time ago but here's what i think (laughs) happens a lot of times and and i don't i'm I'm about to i'm about to get in trouble in some circles uh because this is this is the the this is the scripture Bump that, that uh, I got the, you back. Go ahead. <laughs> that the pagan Baptists be pulling up and everything. But it says that um, when certain people came to faith, that they and their families were baptized, right? So, and me making this one decision, right? And, and you know, everybody like to cite in Proverbs where it says that uh, uh, train up a child in a way he should go and when he's older, would not turn from it. I don't see a whole lot of necessity for this big conversion experience. When I got baptized, it wasn't necessarily a conversion experience. It was a public affirmation. So we're sitting there talking about big people making public confessions rather than just affirming. Like there are certain things, Robert, you said you look back and you see signposts of God's work in your life. Eventually there comes a point where 
for you, it was a little bit different because you came from an atheist background. But eventually there comes a point where me growing up in the church, I just had to affirm that, you know what, this stuff that I've grown up in, I believe it to be true. That's not me converting. I was, I've been there since I was four days old. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's not like I, I had this road to Damascus experience where I believed one thing and then all of a sudden I didn't. It was, a, no, I believe that God's hand is in my life. That when the little preacher anointed my head back in the day or whatever, that that what we asked God to do actually happened. And that I believe that that is happening. And I think that a lot of times we have to do a better job of affirming and promoting that belief as opposed to necessarily driving down all these, when were you converted? Yeah. What, 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 describe that experience. Is, because, salva is salvation predicated upon your ability to understand truths about God? Yes or no? Yeah. No, it doesn't make any sense because most people's doctrine of salvation is by grace alone. So my <laughs> under ability Me to understand years ago is giving y'all the intellectual business right now for that statement. <laughs> you two years ago can kiss my black. You know, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> how about that? How about that? But but uh, that, that's what I believe. I believe through grace alone. I'm, I'm not. I'm not here to argue. Nah, no. I hear you. I hear you. Pe people over you. here don't know how elections work. Want to talk to me about the elect? Get out my face. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> but let me let me let me give that because you answered it. So I think again, this is how we let. Um, intellectualism creep into our relationship with the divine. I think if we actually look back at encounters, even our biblical forefathers and foremothers had with God, they didn't even understand the being that they were talking to. Neither did they understand truths about the being they were, they were talking to. And so if we were to use today's definitions of faith i don't know that a lot of people throughout the bible would have been considered saved and so i think we get well, they'll into figure how to fit their favorites in there of course um but i think we get into trouble when we think salvation is predicated upon our ability to reason i i want to flip our whole conversation and say who are we to say the moment we begin to intuit the divine. And I keep using the word the divine because yes, we know the names for, for, for the divine. Yes. Right. Like we know Jesus, mm -hmm. but when Hagar encounters God in the wilderness, I don't know that she had, um, are you Yahweh? <laughs> uh. it's, fu it's funny that you're here. <laughs> uh. It's so funny that you're here in, let me, could you walk me down Roman's road while we're here so uh -huh. I can make sure that I make it in? No, she didn't. Um, but what she, she knew enough about the power she was talking to, she named God. And Ooh. so I think we get into trouble where we try to ascertain the moment that we have all of the shots um, like lined up and where we can tick all the boxes. And I think we don't know young Trey's conversion experience because that's only for God to know. Oh, but you Ooh. could have been in the womb intuiting the divine. Right. You could have been a two-year-old intuiting the divine in ways that cannot be poked and prodded. 
Ooh. And so, and, and that's not for us to dissect. What we do know is that you remember this awareness of God as early as you can remember. And so maybe for you and Sam, there is no day. <laughs> and only God will tell you at the end of the road. He's like, yeah, actually it was when you were three and a half. <laughs> and does that make sense? But there might yeah. have been these times, but just like we see in biblical times where Lot is encountering these angels, not aware of the fullness of what he's encountering. Right. And, and so I'm like, it's a fascinating, but I think we are so weird in our, our language where we're like, this is a time where I did the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I did the thing. I did. Oh man, you preaching, bro? I'm about to go ahead and pass that, pass that plate real quick. But, <laughs> right. but Sam, Sam, you look like you got something to get off that chest real quick, though. No, yeah. Um, we're talking about this, and I was, I was just reminded about a book that I read. So I had to. I wrote this essay when I was trying to get an RBC for a scholarship. Uh, why we needed new reformation. Okay. Uh, don't judge me. Right. Okay. I agree. Um, we do need new information, though. Let's go. <laughs> we do, um, though. <laughs> but one of the things um, the author was saying was that uh, early in American culture, um, they were looking for another way to be more distinct. So, so they were people that wanted power, and their thing was, how do we get political power? How do we get in the country clubs how do we get and so the way of doing it was through the church and and there we see i think the birth of uh you know christian nationalism yeah in america because what you had all of these people that were politicians that were not christian that were actually coming to church and saying yeah i go to church especially uh in the south in the bible belt that's huge oh you go to church yeah come on you know what i'm saying yeah. Uh, people tend to be welcoming to people that are Christians. Yeah. And so um, for the most part, they were like Presbyterian. So they were baptizing their babies. So they needed to be like, okay, so you were not born in church. You, This is your first time coming to church. How do we know that you're Christian? Mm. And so they demanded works to be done to show conversion. And so they had the baptisms, they had uh, other things they did in the community or whatnot. So now they can pinpoint an exact conversion experience to say, this is when I was born. And so I think that's why here, and, and maybe it's an American thing, maybe it's not, I don't know, but at least here in America, we know it's it's a point to be like yo so when when did you come to christ i don't know <laughs> i think i think i think you saying you saying a lot of a lot of quiet stuff out loud right now and i don't even know if you know you're doing it because um there oh. there's a very well documented history right like you can go and look at the the writings of the 17th 18th 19th century in america where christian was used as an antonym the opposite of black right <laughs> like it was it was uh uh n-words or negroes and christians like uh yeah. christian or negroes don't have certain rights over christians and it's interesting because obviously at at some point um the language kind of shifted a little bit but the idea is still present when we look at things like the 
the attack ads on um Reverend Raphael Warnock, right? Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock that are going out. Um yeah. And meanwhile, we we weren't allowed to say nothing about uh Justice Amy Coney Barrett during the conversation. We, we couldn't say nothing about her faith, but all of a sudden, um Dr. Sure. Warnock's faith is 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 imbalanced, right? Because there's right. always been this 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 litmus test of no black people, are you really saved? And <laughs> always this measuring stick where Christian is the closest you can ever get to becoming white, right? Mm-hmm. And and we need to make sure that you're passing our litmus test. This is why uh, uh, the church services and on slave quarters were supervised by white people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The closest yeah. you can get to being white is worshiping the way that we want you to. And when you, when you talk about like, okay, how do we call less power is through the church. Like, I think there's something there to the assimilation program of America um, where, where certain people feel the need to gatekeep. And it was honestly a kind of um, radicalizing moment for me when I like peak game. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, no, you, you don't, you don't get to be the judge of how I choose to worship. <laughs> you don't. Mm-hmm. And, and people want to sit there and hold up uh, norms that they claim are biblical. And I'm like, no, that is actually your uh, interpretation of a biblical norm an interpretation that I'm not obligated to be bound by. <laughs> you understand? Oh, so when I say yeah. you, you saying like the quiet part out loud right there, I think that that was, that was a one stuff you just gave us, bro. I want to read that paper one day. No, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's not terrible in the aspect. Like it was badly written. Like it, it was good, but I just disagree with a lot because I'm telling you, I attack, I attack the traditional black church so hard and I hate it and I regret it. And the only reason that I do not delete it completely from my iCloud is because like, I want to use that as a point to go back and be like, look, you know, with, with my kids or, you know, just in years to be like, yo, people believe this, you know what I'm saying? Like, I believe this It's uh, I, you mentioned um, the about the assimilation in America, bro. You know, there's people don't believe there's anything wrong with assimilation. Like they, it's 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 not racist at all. Yeah, I know, I know, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I know, I know, I know a brother, and I, and I say brother like men, like brother with an A at the end, like a, a black dude who <laughs> I, I pray he's doing it for the bag. Like I pray he's doing it for the check, but he he literally goes around on the circuit given conversations to mostly white audiences about and he's not even shy about it. he doesn't use code language he says no black people need to assimilate and he has like a little powerpoint presentation mm-hmm. of him as a young dude with a do-rag and a, and a fitted cap on talking about how he got wrapped up in a hip-hop culture and he goes into this whole like he has a whole presentation that he gives and i pr- I, I hope the check is good because i'm like bro that's gross as hell like <laughs> I'm sitting there just, <laughs> how, do you, how you do that like is is are we trying you look at yourself in the mirror you you understand what i'm saying bro like that don't make no sense to to say that you you had to believe that the majority of christians in the world are not really christians (laughs) if there's any value in assimilating into american culture like that's 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 why and i'm saying that because like y'all y'all know what the problem with with what he's doing is but there's somebody listening to this right now is like yo what's wrong with assimilating it's the american way like no like you that's That's the problem that's the problem with america right there it's the american (laughs) way that's it 
The American way or the white American way? But um, I wanted to ask a question in in relation to our origin story, um, because we alluded to it um, for the sake of the, this particular episode. What uh, what were your like? What was your relationship with the Bible? Um, Who's talking? It, what? Who you talking to? Uh, <laughs> oh, all of us okay what was oh. your relationship with the bible can i answer that real quick yeah i look this i specifically remember the bible was like the extension cord in miles right like it was whipped out to whip me in shape and so Ooh. reading it was you told your parents too oh Oh, listen, I'm sorry. Listen, I love y'all. I, Daddy, I love you very much. But, but I'm saying, and now we've had this conversation before, Um, like me and him. It was like, so reading it was a task. It was gruesome. It wasn't something that I loved. It wasn't something that I enjoyed because how it was used, how it was weaponized um, to whip me into shape. And it. so- um, matter of fact, and even now that, that I think about that, I think that sort of put some mistrust with God for me because wow. you're only around when I'm wrong. Wow. Mm. Wow. But wow. when I was right, when I did the right things, God wasn't brought into that celebration. Wow. Wow. You see what I'm saying? I like that. And and that I, and I'm just thinking of this now, like yeah, right I'm like, now. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just no, thinking. So um that's even that's even something for me to take, like as you know, as far as how I parent now that I can use that because I don't want God loves them just as much more than I do. And just as I would celebrate them, I think God celebrates us, right? Like, um, I want to bring God. I don't want. I don't want God to be viewed as just this disciplinarian, mm. or the Bible to just be weaponized. Sorry, go ahead. I ain't mean to hijack them. No, that was <laughs> lit. Okay, yeah. that, thanks, uh, Trey. What, what about that? Yeah, was man. Um, I, I remember the first time I ever articulated a call to preach. I was about nine or ten years old, and I remember specifically having a conversation. Oh, you was one of them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, that was when I articulated the call. I didn't start preaching for another like 23, 24 years. Oh, okay. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, not 23, 24. I, I haven't been alive that long. About 13, 14 years, what I should have said. Um, but I, I recall, like, I went to my pastor at the time, Reverend Dr. Lance Watson, St. Paul's Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. Shout out to him. Great dude. But he was like, awesome. First thing you got to do, you got to read the Bible. And I'm sitting there with my little Bible in my hand. I'm like, by when? Um, and I remember specifically because I, I, I was, I was Bible quiz champion and all that. Like I, I can memorize the little verses you told me and everything. I, I've been in a little meetings where you couldn't eat nothing until you recited a Bible verse. I hit him with Jesus wept, grabbed <laughs> my plate. I did all that. Um, but I specifically remember having this, um, really, uh, strained or, 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 apprehensive like relationship with the bible because i was always taught it was something um to to memorize right instead of a book that i was allowed to digest and mm -hmm. dialogue with 
Um, and for that reason, like I remember my first seminary, like I should have known it wasn't going to go well. I should have known because the very first time I had um, an argument with a professor about a paper we had to do about the creation account um, in, in Genesis. And it was basically like I had insinuated that I'm not necessarily married to the idea of a literal six 24 hour day creation. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not too concerned with that. Um, and he made it seem like I was unsaved. And I realized that in that moment, my problem with the Bible had always been that I was taught that it was something I had to memorize as opposed to interact with. Like the fact that I got questions, like how how did God say, let there be light on the first day, but didn't create the sun to the fourth day. I was taught that those questions were bad. And it wasn't until I had freedom or found or gave myself permission to ask those questions and interact with and interrogate the Bible that I actually fell in love with. And that's a very recent development for me, like within the past five, six years or so. Um, and I maybe a little longer than that. Cause I, I specifically remember there was one time when this dude, I, I was I was arrogant to him. I, I'm usually kind of sharp in a lot of different regards, um, but there was this dude who I felt like I should have been smarter than. He was a tried and true believer. And I would have like discussions with him. And I was like, yo, I want what he has. I want that peace. I want that shorty that he has. So I sat down and I read the Bible cover to cover in like 46 days. And even then I wasn't interacting with it too heavy, but now I'm at a stage in life where like, I make sure that when I'm incorporating my Bible reading, I'm incorporating other genres, other poetry, other literature as well, because it helps my mind to interact with the text better. And I've yeah. fallen in love with the scriptures in ways that I was never allowed to or encouraged yeah. to. It's funny um, that you mentioned that because earlier I was going to say one of the things that I think have um, kind of, helped influence is that scholarship was in some spaces that I were in discouraged because they would say oh well if you you know you don't want to mess with the spirit leave room for the spirit so you know you don't want to get too into you you what would they say you would be so good uh so good so earthly good that you so know heavenly mind no good know, yeah so, yeah so heavenly mind you know earthly good uh, yeah or, and or, or the the flip side no of that mercy. basically saying like don't get too smart because you're gonna try and outsmart the holy spirit and it's like well, well what if the holy spirit uses scholarship oh the funny thing is i didn't necessarily have that same experience right like i was encouraged to deal with scholarship but i wasn't encouraged to do scholarship on my own like, i wasn't encouraged to be a theological thinker nobody well, gave me permission to, to think theologically. Right, well, and that's more so what I went because I wasn't like told like, oh, we'll go to seminary, you know what I'm saying? But like read yeah. the Bible, you know, don't engage with, nobody taught me how to engage the text. You know what I'm saying? Like what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, what's interesting is so coming from my background, I brought all of the tools with me. And so I, interrogated everything and I, I over time i in, learned intuitively that i was too like i was too much myself i was too curious i um was too free thinking i was too fluid and so there was a few years within my Christianity that I, I dulled myself and put my brain to sleep. Um, but even then, 
it was like seeds of me would poke through. So, so, so for me, I brought all of my critical thinking to the text, but I learned from being around other believers that that's not the way that Christians should be. And so I picked up, oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to believe by faith, but this doesn't make sense though. <laughs> like, and, um, you know, so I didn't grow up, none of these things were sacred to me. So, uh. oh, wait, but y'all, but that doesn't make sense though. The oh, okay. Though. Oof, it, it, yeah, but, it, yeah, but I felt bad for being this, you know, because for me, my whole life up until uh getting saved was the ability to think freely without any bounds on my thoughts and so bringing all of that to christianity there hey there's some holes in here that don't really make sense (laughs) and i learned that that was a bad thing and um and so there was some years of dissonance until finally i just realized i'm gonna just be thinking these thoughts and I'm they're just going to go in my prayer journal um Mm. and I felt like that was almost a betrayal to Christianity but it was the only way that I could actually be in the faith because I had tried to learn this way of being that was anti-critical thought anti-scholarship anti (laughs) these accounts don't make sense or Okay, I know y'all want all the four gospels to make sense. So y'all come up with these elaborate theories of inerrancy to make it make sense. But I still got some questions. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I got some questions. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want a cliffhanger. So we're going to do a round robin question real quick, right? For hopefully Ooh. what is a part two um, of this episode. I don't want nobody to elaborate on nothing as succinctly as possible. If you could point to a moment that radicalized or revolutionized you in your walk in your theological worldview, what would that be? All right. I see, I see, I see both of y'all looking up at the ceiling right now. Like you trying to crystallize, but I'll go ahead. Um, I'm, 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 I'm going to kick this one off real quick. Um, if, if there was a moment that I could point to that changed how I viewed a lot of things and radicalized me in a lot of senses, it was attending a conservative, obviously white <laughs> evangelical seminary. I did not finish matriculating through, but that was a very, um, that was a big moment for me and kind of solidifying and shifting how I viewed a few things. Okay. You elaborated a little bit, but uh, we'll, We'll allow that. Slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll let it slide. Since I wasn't you gonna say the question. Way. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna get you. Call the police. Uh, yeah, call, I'm calling. Call them. Um, I'll go next. Um, uh, for me, it was Obama's second term. Wow. Um, mine is actually much more recent than that. Uh, navigating through those Twitter streets is what really radicalized me talking with some folks and reading history and seeing some of that reflected in the church. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. All right. So there you have it. Uh, <laughs> Obama's second amen. term going to seminary and Twitter have radicalized us. <laughs> hey, I say that 
um, we 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 gonna follow up this episode with another discussion about what that wall looks like because we didn't talk about the whole wall. This was the origin story. We want uh, we want y'all to come back because we're gonna talk more about where we've gone since then. Um, right. I don't know. I, I'll speak for myself. I'm not necessarily a finished product. I'm always a work in progress. Um, for real. But I'm definitely come a long way from that little kid in Richmond, Virginia, uh, piecing things together. If that makes any sense. Um, so yeah, we're going to follow up with that. We also going to have some more content coming out on the Patreon, um, about ourselves individually elaborating on some stuff, but man, that's, that's it for episode three though. Cause we now have a Patreon, which Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to, to visit at, uh, patreon.com slash three black men, uh, think through it, pray through it ask God <laughs> if, if he would have you partake in this work that we're doing because on top of some bonus content here we have uh, some blog pieces going up there's going to be some devotional content coming out and I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon patreon.com slash three black men go watch and, um, my kids ruin my videos go ahead watch, watch them, <laughs> them them babies ain't ruin nothing man matter of fact there's, there's more people going to sign up to, to see them babies how about that bro <laughs>